Philippians chapter 4, uh, reading verses 1 through to 9. This is God's word. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Uriah and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's word and we give thanks to him for it. Yes, thank you, Jeff, for leading us. Um, thinking and doing is what we are thinking about tonight, and it's what we'll be doing in a few moments' time. So I suppose if all you can remember from this evening is thinking and doing, well then, we've got somewhere, haven't we? Let's pray before we um, turn to the, these two verses, just two verses tonight. Let's pray for God's help. Father, thank you for your word inspired and sufficient, inerrant, and full of beautiful, sweet wisdom. And as we live in a broken world with broken people, broken minds, broken relationships, we thank you that you are the fixer, you're the rescuer, you're our helper. And tonight we just thank you for the power of these two verses, and we ask that you will write these verses on our hearts and minds that we will be thinkers and doers in the right way. Help us to do so in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first came to Ritual Presbyterian back in 1993, when some of you didn't even exist, I often quoted um, from the thinking of a guy called Neil Postman. And it's funny, if you wait long enough, you can use those old illustrations again. Neil Postman was, I don't know if he's still alive, he's possibly dead, but he, he was a cultural critic and humorist. Now, he wasn't an evangelical or reformed Christian, but he did regard himself as being religious. And he was famous for one particular book entitled amusing ourselves to death, amusing ourselves to death. 
And it could have been seen as a, a work of cultural prophecy because basically what he looked at was the consequences of things like politics, journalism, education, and even religion becoming subject to the demands of entertainment. So in other words, we dumb everything down to make everything accessible. And his, or his I suppose the, 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 the line that ran through that particular work was that a modern man in the Western world just simply does not think. Uh, contemporary culture discourages good, sound thinking. So we react rather than think. And this is, by the way, long before the internet or social media. What would he be saying today? And he could see even back in the late 80s, minds being numbed by amusement, time being wasted in all kinds of things, conversations being stifled, relationships being disrupted, because we don't think. We simply want to be entertained. And people, as far as he could see, were trying to skip from the mechanical, cold world of reality in a broken world into a fantasy world of just entertain me. Now, I think it's incredibly worse now. I'm not, not into social media, but I know enough that there are things called posts and tweets and reels. I'm not sure what reels are, but um, basically anybody can share anything and everyone's influenced. We are, in a sense, amusing ourselves to death with the inability to think properly. But God tells us to do something very, very different. And he's speaking to Yodia and Syntyche right from the first couple of verses, verse 2. He's speaking to the loyal yoke fellow and Clement. And basically, all of you guys in Philippi, he's saying, I want you to stand firm in the Lord, and I want you to agree in the Lord, and I want you to rejoice in the Lord, and I want you to present your requests to God in prayer, and I want you to receive the peace of God. And the way to do it is to think about such things, as mentioned there in verse 8, and then put it into practice, verse 9. And in many ways, it's just our simple two headings tonight. Think about such things and then put it into practice. Let's think about thinking in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Despite the confusion that there is in our thinking and, I suppose, our inability to think properly, we are thinkers. We've been created to be thinkers. We are thinking beings because we've been made in the image of God. And I got some statistics. Would you believe it from the internet? <laughs> and they, of course, Google never tells a lie. The average person has about 10,000 separate thoughts each day, about three and a half million a year. And you can do the sums, or maybe you can't, but that's 262 and a half million 
thoughts in 75 years of life. So that means today, some of you have had at least 7,000 thoughts. Now, I had a wee snooze for about half an hour this afternoon. I rested my thinking, but even then, probably knew the mind was working away. So you've had 7,000 separate thoughts. That means that even now you're thinking, and you're possibly thinking, what is he on about? <laughs> When's he going to stop? Um, you're thinking now, and before you go to bed tonight, you might have about another 3,000 thoughts. And then you start all over again tomorrow, going through the same routine. I wonder tonight, is there anybody here who's stressed? Just life is stressful at the minute. The reason why some of us are stressed, and there are many reasons, I'm not trying to simplify this, but the reason why some of us are stressed is that we simply have allowed our minds to focus on things that bring us down. So wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling, which leads to wrong living. Of course, the opposite is true. Right thinking leads to right feelings, which leads to right living. So it says what goes into our minds determines what comes out in our attitudes and interactions. That makes sense, doesn't it? So belief leads to behavior. Doctrine leads to conduct. And so tonight, if you're struggling with the whole concept of faith, as we thought about this morning, and, and belief, and maybe even having a joyful Christian experience, there might be reasons. For instance, verse 1, if, if you're struggling to stand firm in the Lord, or verse 2, if you're finding it hard to agree with each other in the Lord, or verse 4, if you find it hard to rejoice in the Lord, verse 5, if you struggle to be gentle. Verse 6, if you struggle to pray. Verse 7, if you have no peace. There are reasons. There are reasons for that. And a lot of it probably comes down to stinking thinking. You don't think the way you could or should. And it just drags you down. Bad thinking produces bad living. What happens to our physical bodies if we fill it with bad food or other substances that are not good for our bodies? What happens? Well, our bodies suffer. And so, in some extreme cases, it can lead to disease and maybe even death. What happens when we allow all the garbage and the filth and the perversion of the world to come into our heads and into our thinking, what happens? Well, our spiritual health, our emotional health is going to be damaged. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says this, we demolish arguments and even pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, it's possible. In fact, it's a necessity. We've got to think, think, think about such things. So what are the things that we're to think, think, think about? Well, we've got eight of them. Let's go down them 
one at a time. This isn't complicated tonight, um, but it's hopefully very going to be very, very helpful. Whatever's true, whatever's true is the first thing he mentions there. Finally, brothers, whatever's true. It means real, reliable, faithful, as opposed to what's false or phony or lies. Again, this is vitally important. We're now living in a generation, and boy, haven't things changed since the 1990s. We live in a generation where people have just given up in the search for truth. What is truth, people are asking. They deny that truth exists, or they say that truth is relative. You know, what's true for you is not necessarily true for me. Now, we have to have We must have a different view of truth because God says there's a different view of truth. Whatever is true is what we're to dwell on and think about. We all need to be careful because, you know, we're surrounded by despair and cynicism and negativity, and we can easily be just dragged down by that spirit which is in society, that depressing cloud of negativity and confusion. But we have the ability to think, think, think about what is real, about what is true. And where do we get it? Well, we get it in the book. (laughs) We get it in the Word. Whatever is true is defined by whatever is in the Bible. Not in science, which continually contradicts itself as each generation goes by. Not in common sense. Not in society, not in your wisdom or your opinions, but in the Word of God. If whatever the Bible says, then that's true. Whenever the Bible says something about an issue, that's truth. That's what we should let into our minds and nothing else. We're to meditate on, prize is valuable, be influenced by, all that is true. And we forget, we reject, and we despise the false and the phony and if you, want to be, if you want to be seen and healthy in your spiritual eyes, this is what you must do. Think, think, think about what is true. Think, think, think about what is noble. Or I think the ESV is, uh, was caught, it was, was read there, honorable, serious, lofty. You get the idea? Majestic, awesome, inspirational. Think about that not the frivolous or the trivial or the casual. Do you know, we're called to be children of God. We're called, listen to this, we're called to be joint heirs with Jesus. We're called to be ambassadors of the King. This is serious business we're involved in. The commission that God has given to us is an elevated calling. The peoples of the world are to be reached. The church of Jesus Christ is to be built. The word of God is to be spread. The purposes of God are to be fulfilled. The gospel of God needs to be explained to those who are not believers. The list is very long, isn't it? And yet, so often, we're tempted to be fixated with trivia and besotted with secondary issues. And we major on minor things. It's remarkable when somebody's got an issue about something in the church, it always, 
well, not always, but 90%, 95% of the times, about a trivial secondary issue that's minor in comparison to the big things of God and the gospel. Sometimes I find that there are Christians who are unable, who are unwilling to think, think, think about what is noble and serious and honorable. And they get stuck in all the things that are frivolous. And that's why, by the way, the church is weak. It's why our witness so often is poor. It's why the world either laughs at us or just ignores us. Think, think, think about whatever's noble and we leave the frothy, frivolous stuff behind. Whatever is right is the next one. There are eight of them, just in case you're wondering. It means upright, conforming to God's standards as opposed to the easy route in life. And don't we always want the easy route in life? We like to follow the route or the path of least resistance. And the temptation for us, even within the faith, is to... um, Take the shortcut, cut the corners, compromise, not put in the hard work of maturity or to maturity. And of course, this this requires effort and discipline and wisdom to always want, to always choose the right. But again, we're to think and think and keep thinking about what is right. And then there's whatever's pure. It means undefiled, uh, clean, holy, stainless, wholesome. Not the dirty, not the corrupt. Some thoughts leave a stain on our minds. You know, if you, I remember one guy telling me that um, he was a leader within the the Christian church at the time, this is when I was a teenager, he said he'd, he'd get, become addicted to pornography at a young age. And even though he was saved from that world and hadn't picked up, in those days it was a magazine, because that's the only way you could have it in those days. He said, I haven't picked up a magazine, but I still, I still have the images in my head and I can't get them out. You see, bad thinking, corrupt thinking can stain the mind. We need clean minds filled with clean thinking, not contaminated with impurity. And we're not just talking about our attitude to sex, although that is one of the issues that we need to be pure in. It's our ambitions. You know, sometimes Christians are very clear about their attitude to sexual immorality, but they lose it when it comes to ambitions for their children or for themselves. Uh, in the world, you know, taking on the world, earning the big bucks, and retiring early, and living a life of luxury. Purity in, in the conduct of our relationship, purity in the way we dress, purity in the way we conduct our financial dealings. The list is endless. We need censorship of our minds, and therefore we need to think and think and think and think about what is pure. What is lovely? It means pleasing, attractive, and beautiful. Literally, love towards, most often used of love for brothers and sisters, the promotion of brotherly love. You know, friction is not difficult to produce. It comes easily and naturally to us. All you've got to do is 
ask Eodia and Syntyche about that. They know all about it. But within the family, within the workplace, within the church, it's easy to create friction. Friction occurs because it's made to happen by people who want it to happen. And if they just learned to think about what is lovely, it wouldn't happen. Miserable people chasing and creating and causing misery. Don't get sucked into that kind of mindset. It's easy. It's so easy. Think about what's lovely. See, a thought might be true and might even be right, but not necessarily lovely. If it is not lovely, if it, is, um, if it doesn't make you lovely, if it doesn't make the fellowship lovely, if it doesn't promote loveliness, then don't say it, don't think it, don't do it, don't repeat it. Think, think, think about what is lovely. Then admirable. It means helpful, positive, respectable. The clear link with the previous one, of course, here, but not cheap and not critical. Again, think positive, not negative. Think constructive, not destructive. Think building up, not tearing down. It means we've got to edit our words, delete some attitudes. It seems to me, again, that, that some seem to be oblivious to their sin, because it doesn't matter how many times this comes up. You know, it comes up in the book of James, comes up here in Philippians. Some people just simply just go on and on and on with critical tongues. Now, it doesn't mean they're downright disobedient, or it doesn't mean they're not even aware that it is a sin. I, I, I'm lost. Maybe you could tell me the reason. But don't be like that. And don't be intimidated or seduced by them. Think, think, think of whatever is admirable, the helpful, the good, and the positive. Whatever is excellent, it means the highest moral standards, positive consistency rather than negative inconsistency. Nothing but the best, in other words, for a spiritual living. Concentration on the excellent, rejection of the inferior. Think about what is excellent. There are times, you know, I'm, I would say there's nothing but the best for home decor. Although, no, I never really say that, do I? Nothing but the best for holidays. Nothing but the best for our clothing. Nothing but the best for our kids' education. But when it comes to service or worship or faith, anything will do. Anything will do. If some Christian, here's what somebody once wrote. If some Christians ran their businesses or studied for their exams the way they exercised their faith, they would be bankrupt within weeks or be an absolute failure in no time. N never think, don't be tempted to think that, what is the minimum? What is the minimum I need to do? Or what's the minimum I need to give? Or what's the minimum I need to be here? Think big, think quality. Think excellence. Excellence in all things glorifies God and inspires people. That is true. Praiseworthy. Whatever is God's will, whatever pleases God, 
his way, not my way, not our way, not the traditional way, not the untraditional way, his way. Now, taking together these eight virtues, uh, point the way to godly thinking. And you notice at the end of verse 8, after he lists all of those things, he says, think about such things. Now, the word think there, or, or dwell, I think it might be in the ESV, is uh, logismi. It's a mathematical term, uh, which we get the word logarithms from, or logic. The idea is that um, it's concentration, calculation, consideration, evaluation, reckoning, looking hard, thinking hard. So in other words, we've got to be mentally focused on, intellectually dwelling on these things, and on this particular in what pleases him. Now, some grammar here. Uh, and I looked down there, I spelled grammar wrong, so it just shows you. <laughs> um, don't for one minute think that I know all the rules of grammar. But I know, I can read commentators who tell me what the rules of grammar are. This is in the present tense, which means we're to always do this. Always, right? Continually. It's in the active voice which requires effort or action by us. We're responsible. We're to do it. And it's an imperative, which means it's a command of God. Are you getting the picture? We're always to do this. We are always to do this. We are always to do this. In many ways, we need a strainer or a sieve, keeping out the bad stuff and the bad thoughts, and we let in the good, the best, and the holy and the helpful. Our, our society is breaking apart. Um, if, you, if you've lived any length of time and, and you can, in a sense, compare one generation with another, we're, we're breaking apart because people are allowing all kinds of trash into their thinking, and it's destroying them as individuals, and it's destroying their families. We can't afford to play that game. I mean, a surgeon... Before surgery will scrub his hands over and over again, you might not have been in, in behind to see the scene, but you've seen it in the movies, haven't you? You know, they, they, they use their elbows and, and they scrub and they clean every last little bit around the fingers because lives depend on it. We have a ministry to perform and we need clean minds and we need clean thinking. And when we do, it'll change our attitudes, it'll change our actions. Some of us, I think, make a mistake here. We think we can control our actions or we can change our actions without changing our thinking. I don't think that's possible. Our minds need to be changed first, then our actions. So that's think about such things. That's from the text. Our second thought, just for, for uh, just a few moments, put it into practice, verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard, from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. We assume here that Paul's thinking that the Philippians would be asking, well, thank you for that, brother Paul, but uh, could you please give us a very clear, mature model of that kind of living, of that kind of thinking? Now, we'll be thinking of Jesus at the end, but note the example that he gives here in verse 9, after listing all these virtues, 
whatever you have seen or learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. In other words, he uses himself as an example. Now, we looked at that in chapter 3, verse 17. It was exactly the same. Join with others in following my example. And so, Eodia, Syntyche, and all you others, think and then do. Follow my example. Now, there's four things there you'll see. Learned, whatever you've learned, that's most likely what uh, Paul was thinking about what, what he taught them, what he preached to them when he was there in their presence, physically with them. The focus is on the truth. Paul expounded in his preaching the sound doctrine that they should have learned from him. And that's why, by the way, it's essential that we, that we see the importance of this, to sit under Bible teachers and preaching. If it's not here because you, you, you can't always be here, then sit under the ministry of the Word, the sound biblical teaching somewhere else. But listen, listen and listen and think and think and think. And learn and learn and learn from Bible teaching, sound theology and truth. And then received. That's probably in reference to what he wrote. For instance, this book. Paul often encouraged that his letters be read out in church services. Uh, not just one little bit like we do, like, or two verses, but the whole book each time. That's why, by the way, we publicly read the Word before we preach it. Before we read a commentary, before we listen to a preacher, we should, we must read the Word over and over and over and over again. I often say, uh, and the reason why we send out um, in advance, you know, the passage for study on the following Lord's Day, we, we, we let send that in a Friday, so that you might read the passage over and over and over and over again. So when you come, you, you, the Word's in your head and in your heart, and then the preaching of the Holy Spirit applies it to your lives. Put into practice. Heard. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, probably uh, from others, although it, the language suggests that not that, but anyway, that's what most of the commentators say, uh, reports about his ministry, and especially how he dealt with opposition and persecution, about his trusting in the Lord and his, the way he seemed to be at peace with himself and the world. Whatever you heard what was reported. You know, people watch us and listen to us all the time. They draw conclusions about our lives. They, they, they can see whether we're frauds or whether we're the real thing. And the report that we offer and the way we live can be such a powerful teaching tool, also for Paul and also for us. And then the last word, seen. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Again, his daily walk with God, his disciplined discipleship, his imitation of Jesus, his holy living. He talked the talk and he walked the walk. Put it into practice. Do it. Do it. Do it. Think it, think it, think it. Do it, do it, do it. It's very simple, isn't it? And the result is the God of peace will be with you at the end of verse 9. See, the battle is fought in the mind. Victory is experienced in peace. Do you know the difference between being involved in a funeral of a Christian, a Christian family, and a non-Christian family? The Christian family almost always have a sense of peace. And it's very often missing 
in the, in the unchristian family. Peace is a very important concept. You know, the use of the word peace today is the idea of a kind of, I think I've said this before, a spiritual marshmallow, <laughs> soft and sweet, little substance. But actually in the Bible, peace is full of strength and vitality. It's like a fortress, strong, strong enough to actually to, to be the medicine for our anxiety and our fear, and a fortress strong enough to handle all the negative feelings we might have for other Christians within the fellowship. Oh, Eode and Syntyche, are you listening? And the God of peace will be with you. I'll leave that out. Think about such things and put it into practice. Ultimately, of course, these virtues, Paul could say, because I follow Christ, you can follow me and my example. But ultimately, and I hope you've noticed this, each of these virtues of of verse 8 our description of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, who is the truth? Who is the most noble son of God? Who is the standard of righteousness? Who is the fountain of purity? Who is altogether lovely? Who is the admirable savior? Who is the source of all virtue? Who is the one whom all of creation praises. It's Jesus, isn't it? And the gospel keeps saying to us, put him on and then live him out. Put him on and then live him out. It's always about Jesus, his beauty, his truth, his goodness, and his virtue. Think on him and then do his life in your life. We are a society amusing ourselves to death. The amusement doesn't work. The entertainment doesn't work. We're destroying ourselves. And Christians are called to a higher calling. We're to think, think, think. And we're to do and do and do. And then the peace of God will equip us for everything. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the simplicity of this uh, word, the power of this word. We know we're surrounded by a million voices speaking to us day and daily, and most of it full of trash and perversion and danger, and yet you've given us everything for good thinking and for positive doing. So may we respond to your word, and may we respond in singing now and then coming to the table, and we pray that we might uh, know your love and the security that your your peace brings. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.